keep going. Welcome back to the Keep Going podcast. After the amazing results in London, the interwebs exploded again in allegations of doping. While we've danced around this topic a few times, in this episode, we dive into the deep end. And while we don't have any answers or novel suggestions, we do have opinions. But you know about opinions and assholes, right? It seems we'll never really get to the bottom of this topic, but we hold that as fans, it's important to focus on the good, the true, and the beautiful. We refuse to be jaded and sarcastic about the sport. Sure, there's reasons to be skeptical, but that skepticism frequently turns sour and affects public perception of the sport by focusing on the cheaters and not on the epic performers and performances. Even when there are performances that are untainted by actual doping bans, the well has already been poisoned. But why even fucking care? If one is always thinking the game is rigged, why even pay attention? This has never been sufficiently explained in our minds. You're either in or out, we say. You can make yourself miserable and nihilistic, but we're not falling for that bullshit. Instead, we will focus on the beauty of competition, of failures, of pain and suffering. We honor the intent of runners across the globe to endeavor to test themselves against time and distance, against other men and women, against the inevitability of death. This running journey is a journey of self-discovery and self-transcendence, not a wallowing in a morass of getting real or being naive. Because if we're really gonna get real, I think we all realize that this whole sport is really just entertainment. It's a game. But when the sport, the pursuit becomes something more, something deeper and higher, it becomes a way of living, a practice. A practice for what, you ask? Being human. And as more and more signs are pointing to humanity's disregard of the lessons of the empires of the past, perhaps what we're really training for is collapse. Maybe our real pursuit is outrunning the destruction of the world. But it's not all doom and gloom in this episode we call drugs, beauty, and apocalypse. There is a light at the end of this tunnel. Follow beauty. Until next week, my friends, Godspeed. We'll just cut it out we, if we, we don't do like need it. To talk about, I promise. We do need... I think it's fair to talk about London at least for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It was because, so amazing. Like I think every, the, most of the stuff I'm seeing about London is about a guy negative splitting and running a sub 60, but and I'm seeing a lot of going to be our doping episodes. No, no, no. The thing, the, th- the well, thing, well, it coincides it could, with a lot with that's another, going, with on with going on in traffic. Yeah. 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 yeah, it is, does. Boy. I mean, if you want to, Throw it all. Well, let's the finish his thoughts on. That's what though. I've been thinking. Y'all been thinking about London. I've been thinking about triathlon. So it's been <laughs> well, like rocking my world. Well, John we wanna, and I are probably on the same page here because I'm not. I'm like I anti talking about doping that yeah. way. Like, to me, it's like, is this Kip Tim guy doping? Is he not doping? Did something that's pretty amazing? I'm like, once you got one person that opens the door, lots of other things can happen, or they're all doping. Yeah. I, it, to me, it's just like the whole doping conversation is just. When someone gets popped, I go, eh, well, and exactly. then I move on to the next person. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, the the part of the, the Sifan Hassan is 
so badass. She's epic. Holy <laughs> shit. She is a She's so badass. Last week we were gushing about Helen O'Beary and Sifan Hassan yep. makes Helen O'Beary look like she's oh, like well, one dimensional. Like she's only got one, like she can only play one speed on one this. track. Okay, so I, I, think I'm, I think I'm a little Sifan, bit removed. I'm about a week removed well, that, from no, the running totally. world So right Sifan Hassan it, um, runs for the Netherlands, but she's Ethiopian by birth. I don't right? know if she's Ethiopian, Northern African. I'm not sure Morocco. what. I, I, I pull out I my phone. I, I need yeah, to look yeah. some things I, that's I don't know I her original. She's been in the Netherlands for a very long time. Yeah. She's competed for them even in youth I athletics so. and stuff. So, um, But I think she runs, what, a 156-800? She's run 156 for the 800, <laughs> 351 <laughs> for the for the 1500 I can't remember her four, his her 5k PR but she in in 2020 in the Olympic Games she won the 1500 gold medal in the Olympics and came and won the 10,000 meter gold medal that had never happened nothing anywhere near that had ever happened before and then at the world championships this past year or maybe it was flip it was world championships she did that and then the Olympics I can't remember which she went for the triplet right. and she went to win the 15 the 5 and the 10 and she won the 5 and the 10 but she didn't win the 15 mm -hmm. I wonder if and Sifan Hassan to me she's just having fun she that's what she's having whenever fun you, uh, whenever you see an interview with her she's she has this very sort of light air energy almost like a little bit childlike yeah, her pre-race, her pre-race, what thirty something. You know? Yeah, her pre-race interviews. She was like, "I'm just so afraid I'm not going to be able to finish the marathon." Yeah, she was like, "I don't think I'm going to be able to finish." So, just so you know, so this, 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 that was a pre-race. Yeah, she, she, her, 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 her debut marathon is the London Marathon. The, I mean, between Boston and and London, we had the, I think, I think London, I think Boston on paper was a like the greatest field ever assembled but i mean yeah the olympic gold medalist in the in the london field so it's hard to say um but they were both incredibly deep fields everyone showed up at those two races completely different races too you know one is as we talked about last week really tough and downhill and then the other one is um london was her first her yeah. debut marathon oh my god her debut <laughs> And if you watch I the footage, I probably sound like a complete idiot no, to the it's, running it's, community no, is so, listening to this. Well, no, there's a lot of people that don't follow the sport, so I don't think that you don't need to feel bad about that. Field, like people may follow marathon, but I'm looking may, at, her, at her at her at her like part. at her record. She's and it's the 5000, 10000, you know, 5k, 10k, 5k, 10k, 5k, 10k. And then there's London, which is just like her first marathon ever, she wins London in 2018. And she had to stop a couple times. She stopped. She got dropped. She was, what, 40 seconds back or something? Almost 40 seconds back, yeah. Holy And then crap. she came back on them, and then they, they, they were running very fast, too. But when she regained contact, they all slowed it back down because yep. they were like, oh, shit. Which I'm like... <laughs> Don't, why would you slow down? Like, I well, would just keep yo-yo. Maybe they were trying to protect their finish or they maybe, were already. I think it like, I think there was a big relief when like, oh, Hassan's gone. Wow. That's, that's good. Right. And then, so she, they. Oh, and then they started slowing down. And then down, all maybe. of a sudden, like, wait a minute, she's there again. And right. then I, I was probably panic. I'm on sure. Some of them. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed with the Ethiopian who got second, though. Given that field and the way she ran, she ran a really, really she tough ran. race. She opened my eyes a lot. I mean, there were multiple. I mean, it's three seconds. If you three watched seconds. it, Michael, there's a video out there. You can get on Let's Run. There's a video out there somewhere of showing her last two minutes. 
and it's just textbook 1500 meters. Like, yeah. it's like watching a pro athlete at the Stanford invite running the 1500 with the collegiate athletes. Yeah. The collegiate athletes are solid, but the pro just sits there and waits and waits and waits and kicks out, kicks them at the end. And that's what she did. And when she lifted and went, it was like, bam. It, yeah. I mean, it was an immediate gap. It was immediate and was done. And then she looked around, made sure she was good and then came across the finish line. And she's was, so awesome. She's so awesome. I've been, I've been touting Sifan Hassan's talent and her breadth and depth. So there's only one athlete in the world, I think, that can compare, on the women's side, that can compare to her, and that's Tiranesh Dababa, the baby face destroyer. Yep, baby face destroyer. She's, you know, she had, um, she won the Olympic gold medal in the five and the 10, si- simultaneous to when McKaylee was doing it. And she would also go and do a bunch of those same, um, a lot of the same cross country races. Yep. So her her pedigree and her like, the, the point scale, um, on the number of wins she's gotten is higher. But Dababa didn't have the <laughs> nowhere near a 156-800. No. And, and of course, Dababa didn't run 218 either because right. that would have been borderline world record. I don't think Dababa ran two, under 220 in her first one, but she and she had had a marathon career, but it's not gone. You know, she's just getting older. It's yeah. a long, it's, a, it's like, it's like Bikaley. It's just a long time to be in the game. Yeah. Um, and it seems like she knows better than to keep going. Uh, but... Yeah, Sifan Hassan was incredible. That whole race was incredibly fun to watch. Kiptum was like, to me, it was so refreshing. Like what you were saying last week, John, you were like, it just gets tiring watching Kipchoge dismantle fields. And I don't think, from what I saw with Kiptum, I'm not sure Kipchoge can go with him. The way he ran that, I mean, he had that 1356 split on his 5K at at like 30K or something like that. He When that flashed up, I was like, somebody mistyped something <laughs> I, I mean it he he ran this so kipchoge ran the fastest half marathon in a marathon at berlin last year when he went 159 40 or something like that 59 45 yeah like on the front end of the ra- of the race and it was really shocking for kipchoge it was after that everybody was like okay mic drop he didn't hold it obviously he ran 201 low but he but he That's broke still the world, holding it together. But he broke really the world well. record, and everybody was just like, right. "Okay, we're not going to see anything the likes of this for a very long time." And it's like Kipton went back home and decided, decided. Then he ran Valencia, ran well there, but he he decided, "Let me show you what I can do." He ran the fast. I think he said it was the fastest half ever in a marathon. Yep. On the back half mm. of the marathon, twenty three. Yeah. He does not look old. 23 years old. He does not look 23. Kiptum is but, 23 but years old. But they never do. No, Kenny no. never looks their age. So. And <laughs> the it's just blowing my mind. I mean, we're yeah. that's the headlines that 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 I saw was just we've got this is going to be a fun year. You know, the next few years, like we're just going to see yeah. everything. We're going. Unfold. We're it's going under too quickly with the yeah. arms race like this. It has to go under too quickly. You start getting them competing against each other. You get yeah. pacers going faster. I really thought Where is he be going I, for. I mean, he missed the world record by twenty seconds, mm-hmm. and he was solo the whole way. So you know, the fact that he didn't get his world record is one thing, but it, it's still it, the, the level of shock was almost as great as when when Bikaley almost right. got Kipchoge's world right. record. But what we need to see is Kipton doing it again. Now he what he did at Valencia was pretty freaking impressive. I think it was two oh two two oh three or something. So. It's you know, like he, both of his marathons have been um, two oh one something. Oh, it's crazy. So he has a two oh one something average. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so we're seeing things in the sport, you know, and, and then, you know, that you can get into the technology stuff here because you can get into doping into technology here, right? And we can segue this into triathlon because I can feel your itching to get oh, into no, this I'm topic. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Actually, I think it's – I just don't even know if I'm qualified to talk about it because because of, of various reasons. Like where I don't want my mind to go is – is there there's any doubt in the purity yeah. of sport and and yeah. and I see I've seen such amazing performances that when only one person does it and it's uncovered it just it it really really questions yeah it it makes me it it's the side of me that I don't like which is yeah. the skeptic side yeah. and and I just start to ask questions I start to look at you know everything like what's going on how are they recovering like what's what's yeah. happening here and anyway i don't even know if i'm qualified to have that conversation i just know that i'm a little hurt from it um uh you're, try, a, fa- you're like, a fan because i'm a fan I'm a, I'm a fan of the the sport and i've always had suspicions that that there's things going on in the age groups because you know this is just what we do and yeah. and and i don't like thinking like that i just like i kind of like that really childlike approach where these people are superhuman and they're not doing anything wrong and i like that world but but then again but then there's there's this whole side of it that's like well don't accept that world don't be naive bring it out and put it into the public i just i don't i don't know i'm too new at this to even really have a position i just need to keep keep an open open mind and and let the let the torchbearers kind of historically before drugs became a topic when so you're talking pre early 90s yeah and yeah because it really all came out of the cycling world in the late 80s through the original epos that were coming on even back into the you know i'm talking about back into the 60s -hmm. when a world record would get broken that was considered a pretty big step Mm -hmm. and everybody went like jerome dayton's 208 right Right. that kind of stuff yeah exactly then there was 210 was the world record and then he ran 208 out of the blue and, and Jerome Drayton wasn't like it wasn't like he wasn't a, he was a he raced once a year and he nailed it and then he wasn't he wasn't good at going head to head with the other greats right. of his time yeah. he was just a fast course fast guy I think he did it at Fukuoka, Fukuoka think, and, yeah, yeah. Um, whenever something like that happens a lot of times unless you're like Bob Beeman or whatever there's a floodgate that opens mm-hmm. because there's the this uh, this opening of belief or opening to belief all of a sudden, right? And so... Great performances become synonymous with what-ifs. Right. You know, things yep. like that. That's just to the layman, you and, know, for people like myself. You know, and, and like... It, so Kipchoge has been... he's If he's 38 now, right? If. It, right. right. So, it, do, it doesn't matter right, at his matter. age because no one's going to be saying... He's 38. <laughs> cheating. He was a world champion at 18. Yes, he was. So he's been in the game... 20 plus years and it took him he beat he went he beat the two greatest the greatest 5k 10k man of his generation maybe of all time yeah and he beat the greatest 1500 meter runner of his generation if not all time head to head in a 5k where they all came together yeah. and he was 18 years old when yeah. he did it so it was one of those like kipped him we were like holy shit and then he didn't and then he didn't win and then he sort of got into a <coughs> He sort of went into hiding for a little bit and then right. popped back out in the like 2012, 2013 yep. or something like that. But he, uh, I, I think when, 
I think Kipchoge has been such an inspiration in so many ways that when Kiptum won over the weekend, my first thought was like, oh yeah, this is just going to become a thing now. Mm-hmm. And then I thought a little bit like, well, is he doped? And I'm like, no, he's only 23. I think it was kind of like, I think we may be going through a, a period where kind of like what we did what 10 or 12 years ago when like the marathon times just started boom 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 when we were down at 203 204 after kunuchi yeah. after kali kunuchi broke then, the world and record went under 205 a lot of money came into the sport mm-hmm. and things like that and people started getting younger the marathon was something you Correct. usually did yes. at the end of your the last 3 4 years of your career right and unless now, you were pure slow twitch right yeah and now <laughs> people are like they're coming they need Straight to come earlier. It. I think college age students, if I had a college team, I would redshirt my 5K, 10K kids. If they didn't redshirt from injury, I would redshirt them in their third year and they would run a marathon cycle and yep. they would race a marathon and then they would come back and do their last 5K, 10K cycle. And I guarantee you they'll destroy everybody. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. and then they're ready to decide, do I want to be a marathoner? Well, I yep. can go out and go do that. Or I don't want to, I can go this direction and nothing's stopping them in their redshirt year from doing that. You give them the coaching to do that. Why wouldn't we do that? To me, that just seems gen- like... If I were Mike Smith and I was at, I was up there, that's what I would do. I would just pick my adopters, those guys and girls that you look at and you're like, you're going to be able, like Emma Bates. When we first saw Emma Bates, the first day I saw her run, I'm like, that's a marathoner. She's going to be great. Emily Sisson, same thing. Yep. They're really good at the short distance, but they're really going to come into their own at the longer distance. Yep. Um, now, so my view about doping is a little more nuanced because they're innocent until proven guilty. Mm-hmm. And there's not a single thing I can do about it. Now, am I naive to think that Kiptum is not doping. I think there's a lot of structure in there. He's a Nike athlete. Well, why would He's you young even, enough to be able to... Where fl- my mind goes is why would you even... It's It almost... There are areas outside of sport that if you even accuse somebody, like a businessman, of a great business person for just cheating on taxes, like without even looking at their financial records it's a it's bad it's bad like yeah. it'd be like oh he just cheated the system or she just well, cheated the let's system clarify we are mostly we are mo- this is not going on in, in the guardian is not writing about that the most somebody the most recently thing i saw was the a guy from oh no no it was what's his name uh it, we talked about it last time, uh, Jonathan Marcus talking about what he thought was going on with the on-athlete who was at Notre Dame, who's now, um, uh, anyway, he he basically sort, he basically accused him of doping without it. He said he can't, he can't run with those mechanics without doping or something like that. Um, and I don't know, to me, when I saw that, I was like, okay, here's a situation of Libel or whatever the word is. I, don't, I, think, I think it's that's, libel. That's, what it is. Yeah, that's yeah. what it comes but to this, me. But mostly what we're like talking that. about here, this is not going on in the in the, in the in the public sphere. It is going on in the public sphere, but it's not going on with any, no magazine or 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 newspaper of its ilk would ever talk about that. This is happening on an anonymous, realize in our sport of running, it is a cesspool. And there's just the most interesting, distorted, dysfunctional, overly testosterone and extremely sad place called let's run where it's an anonymous <laughs> forum that allows any jack wagon to get on there and say anything they want but because it's been around for 25 years 20 years or so it it's where people go to talk about the sport and on there you get that's where that's where i'm getting my 
my what people are saying about the sport. So just so I put that in perspective, because it's not yeah. going on at Runner's World or The Guardian or New York Times. None of those are going to touch that with a 10-foot pole for the reasons that you're talking about. It's like the, the Reddit kind of idea where you can talk about it, but not on the Look road. at the sport of cycling. I mean, how has cycling continued to stay relevant at a high level in Europe? and gained a lot of listenership in, in the U.S., have its premier star in the 2000s get busted for doping after he lied about it. And, and, now, and now cycling is, again, still in the public eye in the U.S. It's actually gaining interest. People are watching more and more of it. And it's cool to me. I have the same feeling about track and field that I have about cycling. I don't know if they're doping or they're not doping. But it doesn't make any difference. Because until they get busted, you can't do anything about it. So stop if you're somebody who is like grumpy about it you can argue for better testing and more testing and you know we have seen recently in in kenya that there have been a lot more doping positives because they got serious on that which then is is fuel for that that clean sport fire to say hey if you just crack down on that what's going to happen but the problem is i think that a guy like kiptum you know at 23 years old he's in a nike system he's already been groomed from outside it supposedly he's coaching himself that is completely interesting to me too. The well, idea I, that he's coaching I himself. The, the thing I said was that he was coaching himself up through Valencia, and then maybe I think so. he got picked. I, I would guess if he was running, I can't remember if he was running for Nike at the time, but Nike probably said, "You need, need to be agent, in a system, you need a coach, you need yeah. the whole thing." Yeah. yeah, I don't know. He must have an agent because he's getting into big. I mean, don't get yeah. into Valencia without an agent. But right. anyway, I, I don't know the full story of that. I just I read that as, yeah. a, as a as an as an aside. But I think he mentioned it. Maybe it was before Valencia that he mentioned it, but he defended his self-coached behavior. Yeah. Um, so I don't know which race that was for. But there's a lot of things that w if a thinking skeptical person, I don't mean skeptical about drugs to the point of being, you know, ruining your experience of it. But if you're skeptical to the point of saying what I think of is like not naive, but also saying I want to enjoy the sport. I think you have to run between this. You have to sit in this uncertain space. And I don't, I guess I've been doing it for so long that it's not hard for me. I'm like when they get if there'd be a lot of people out there. There's only would, one person out there that got busted for doping that it would hurt my heart, and that's Ilya Kipchoge. Yeah, and if he did, it would hurt my heart. But I would get over it, and I'd be like, well, maybe this is part of because there's a small part of me, 25% part of me, thinks we just legalize it all and just say fuck it, go. Now the problem is that some people are going to be really hindered then but already who's going to get hindered you're going to take advantage of poor people from africa who are going to have to do it. they're already doing it like the people who have questionable ethics and questionable morals are already in the question they're already doing it so to me it's like if you if every if kipchoge isn't a doper and he dopes how much faster will he be i think the thing we need to do is we need to create a, a marathon league or something like that where you, you can dope as much as you want up to death and see how fast you can run. Dude, but we already have that happening like in... 145 for the marathon. But we already have that happening in cycling. die. We already have that happening in yeah, cycling. they do. Right? And... And yep. now, but you know, we do see in cycling. I mean, I'm I've got a friend who's watching that really, really closely, and he was showing me all these. I, I watched Perry Rubeau this year. I watched a couple of those big races, and he's like, they are riding so much faster than yeah. they have ever ridden they're before. Setting, they're riding it, and people over there are not clamoring over drugs, doping, 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 doping. I mean, maybe they are doping, maybe they're not. But we also know there's been a big interest. There's been, you know, in our sport, there's been a huge thing with the shoes. We don't really know what's going on with the shoes. In fact, we're learning from the collegiate system. This is what the college coaches are talking about now. Is 
the athletes are running so much faster in the collegiate system because the shoes are allowing them to recover. That where we were worried yep. about the long-term effects of wearing the shoes, the coaches are just wearing them in their spikes and they're doing, they're not running in those fancy shoes when they're running out. They're running yep. in Pegasus or whatever else, but right. then they get the fancy shoes on race day and their workout day and they're able to return from that work. Once they get that calibration, I think sometimes get lower back problems and knee problems, but when they get set, what, what I heard, I think it was Dathan Rittenheim said, he's like, my athletes are able to come back, or, and Dave Smith said from Oklahoma State, they're able to come back from workouts that would have put somebody out for a week, and yep. they're ready the next day to get back at it again. Why, how are they to. doing that? The shoes are not, they're allowed, there's so much energy return, and so much... The, the, the way that those spikes are designed, they're just, they don't have the load. The, it's affecting the load in a way that their tendons ligaments are not getting blasted out. The biggest issue that most fast paced runners have to deal with, you know, 1500, 5k is that your Achilles, your plantar and your soleus, all those connectors take a lot of load they and, get, and they get really beat up and they're really hard to, to recover from because it's soft tissue. That's not as oxygenated as let's say a, a shoulder or a, the quad or something like that, you know? Well, so and fascia is, yeah. fascia takes a long time to recover. So um, it, the thing I read about the recovery part was that the foam, specifically certain, I don't know what Nike's foam is versus everybody else's foam, but the f like it reduces the vibration that like these, micro vibrations in the muscles you know like every time you take a step and like you mean you've seen those videos where they slow the picture down they do it at the at the olympic marathon all the time and they're running like 10 frames a second or something like that you know and you can see their muscles just going and apparently those micro vibrations are what keeps you beat up for a week after the marathon oh, and these new foams reduce that and i may be have this completely wrong but that's just my lay interpretation of what I read. And that to me is like super fascinating. Well, just it's just like, like to me, the way I see it as a, I mean, we're all over the place today, fellas. <laughs> I can dig it. Uh, but the way we're talking, all of the different things that affect performance, let's try and like distill it down. But um, the ener high energy return foams, is measured in rebound resilience so the bouncy ball test but you add you add an athlete to that and you can use high rebound resilience in a workout you can use it in a recovery you can take it out in a workout you can add it in recovery like you can yep. you can you can look at active recovery one coach or one athlete might look at active recovery way different than right the other person i don't think it's necessarily based in right or wrong i do think that it's it's like how do you use a float in a workout right. it's like people use it differently right. so until we start accepting kind of like it's there's not one size fits all or one methodology fits all then right. we can start looking at it like a golf bag and you don't go out to play golf with just a driver you know sometimes you need subtle benefits of like a wedge like a 60 degree wedge go out there and lob that shit like you know like yeah. you just it, and then you're you definitely need a putter for certain things so like shoes are the same way but then again some people use the they don't use the same clubs for every single 
distance and place on the fairway every single time. You mix it up depending on what you want to do with it. So I don't think that there's a right or wrong, and I think we're not we're not going to land on a right or wrong for many many years. Um, and then. I, yeah, I think that's absolutely true, and I think that's the thing that I'd like our listeners to think about. It's it's a nuanced situation that's got a lot of different factors getting thrown in there, and to just lean into doping or EPO, even though we have those situations where we see more of it in Kenya now recently, we just had that happen in the triathlon world, got rocked by a pretty massive We're admission. talking about um, Colin Chartier, he came out with a pretty legendary performance at uh what's called the it was the american pto championship and he just it looked like he just wiped the floor with everybody and apparently when he came out on a podcast and said he wasn't using epo in that event but it was post and he came out and kind of came clean but it it begs the question. He's trying to protect his paycheck. Of all of the, it, it begs, a, like, there's a lot of skeptic, skeptical. But the best thing that I saw was kind of my favorite athlete of all time, which is Lionel Sanders. And I like him because of what he does to the sport. I don't have, I, I don't judge people by the quality of their workouts. I judge them kind of by the quality of their character. And I just think that he is just yep. so badass. And... If there's a guy in triathlon, that's my guy. Yeah. So, and he always has been my guy. He kind of inspired me to get into the sport. But he came out and damn near cried the whole video because of the psychological aspects that he was um, just, he was so mad about it because, because it kind of, it, it just, I had this sense of that. It just rocked these people at the highest level. Like, you have athletes like, um, let me think. Um, not, uh, not the Norwegians. Uh, there's some, there's some pros that have been kind of like on the end of their, on the end of their game. Okay. And, um, like Sebastian Keenley, for example, like Sebi is kind of, you know, he, he, He's come to, I don't, I don't like to say ever that anybody's at the end of their career because right. that's not, it's my decision or anything like that. But he is, he's kind of an OG in the sport and he's had many years and many great performances, but I can imagine like I'm putting myself in somebody like that shoes and I'm thinking, well, everybody else was kind of getting better and better and better. And these guys like Lionel and Sebastian Keenley, they're kind of working their own system, it seems like. And the tides are rising, but like some of their performances are generally, you know, we measure them by their, their last performance. Right. And it's just, it, it's fascinating to see like the emotional toll that it took on these people to wonder if their performances were good were they were they gold standard and maybe there was the the idea that their peers their colleagues in the sport the pros who do this for a living were they clean doing it so i can imagine at the at the highest level of performance that there's a psychological kind of like this happened in the u.s with shelby Houlihan's burrito gate situation so i don't know if you know about yeah, that yeah yeah for sure 
<clears throat> so she <clears throat> claims that she tested for um, positive for a, a performance enhancing drug, and she got it in a burrito, and it's happened one other time in the history of the world. I think she was just scrambling, but I do know there was a lot of young, a lot of girls. <clears throat> hit, I think it was the first time where the doping kind of hit the women's distance running community pretty hard, and they were like, okay, so if she is, if, is, that, is that whole team doing it, and are they all doing it? You know, that team... Some people laughed, some people stayed. But to me, all that stuff is still just, it's a naive take to me. It's like, unless you're the athlete getting the money taken away from you, just watch the sport. You can't do anything about it. You can't regulate it. If you're, if you're in the doping controls world, let's, let's be, let's be open and honest about what that we're doing. Like, why, why are we suddenly getting all these tests and in Kenya, I want to know if I were competitive from 2010 to 2015 in the marathon, and now in 2008, 2019, 2020, 2021, we've got 20 times the number of doping violators in Kenya, and I was running from 2010 to 2015, I'd be pissed. So, so are they only testing in Kenya? The, well, so the, the testing proce process is you have to get flagged by a performance. Um, and then there's random, but they're all done. The controls are done by your local governing body. And then there's a WADA, which is a bigger governing body that's coming in and doing random testing. And, the, you know, like a guy like you, you, you listen to a guy like, like um, uh, Galen Rupp. And he's like, dude, I, I basically had a doper. I pretty much should have rented him a room in my house because I was getting doped two times a week. Sometimes he was getting doped at least twice a month minimum for the, all of his career, for his whole life. And those are I don't know if you know what doping controls are, but. They tell you twenty. They tell you X like an hour before, and you you can't be. You have to tell them where your whereabouts are. You have to do all this stuff. It's incredibly invasive. It's it's a sick part of our sport. The fact that doping is something that people get into, but these athletes are dealing with them incredibly. It, it's hard. I can imagine it's even worse for triathlon because they're really trying to clean that game up. Because it's in, in running, it's going to help you, but in triathlon, it's total game changer. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I know I've followed like cycling and running long enough to know how sort of doping controls are done and everything but is it like can they can the doping control person meet you like walk into the restaurant where you are with your family and go no i think Come it's with an me hour bathroom no it's an hour you have a, like a very narrow window and you have to have your you think it used to be it's done through text or something like that but there's it was an agent. I don't know how they did it back in the day, but now you get texted it and you have a window of time by which you need to be present. And so that's why you hear these people getting in trouble for um, whereabouts unknown. Right. Um, and in Kenya, this is a big problem because people are still working. Some of these people, they're still working the fields and working with goats. I mean, most of them aren't. Most of them are in training camps. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't. I would love to have, we need a book. That's the history, how doping works and the history of doping in three sports. I'd be interested in, in, in cycling, in running, and triathlon. Because triathlon would be the new, to me, that's the area of the greatest benefit from EPO. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The, way the, the amount three of different volume that they do in the three different sports and how you can push and play on the recovery alone. And, and it's, not just soft, it's not just soft tissue and it's not just tendon ligaments and muscles. It's pure global system, the whole, how you get run down, how many hours they're able to put in. Um, 
I mean, triathletes look a lot different than they did when we were watching that stuff in the yeah. 90s. When we yeah, were watching sure. Tinley and yeah. and those guys, those guys were, they were muscular they were runners. They were, they were muscular yeah. runners, right? They looked yeah. like Steve Scott. Like, yeah. They were like tall, muscular runners. And even even a guy like Allen, uh, Mark Allen, was he was on the more small side. But still, he was, if he were, if you'd run next to him, if you put him in the middle of a, marathon he would be the odd man out he would yeah. be big but he would still but the guys they have riding now running now I mean, these these guys are monsters they're like they're like uh ross <laughs> they're they're all like ross <laughs> they're, like, they're like six foot four that's what i looked at ross the other day and this I was is one like, of my, oh athletes my god you're like you're like the perfect triathlete he's you a former like you're ready to whip some ass somewhere. he played um he played collegiate uh lacrosse and so oh, he's a shit. big boy. Yeah, six foot four, two. I don't know what do you think he weighs. A lot of weightlifting, a lot of strength yeah, hits training. Yeah, a lot of now. weightlifting. It's very um, muscular, very strong. And he's running hundred milers and running marathons and doing it all. He's having so much fun. Yeah, he's in, and he's sport young. Is definitely. He's young and he's having yeah. he's having his best time. Yep, yeah. it's cool. <laughs> I love Ross. He's cool, man. Anyway, um, there there. That's to me. It's like I would be really. I would read that book. Right. I want the swoosh of. I want this. I want the the under the hood, insider dirty take on what was going on, and we, you know, going back towards uh, the the in running, I would go back to blood doping. Like you know, it this has been in our sport for a long time. A lot of people still question who up before Bakayli was the considered the greatest distance runner of all time was Lasse Viren. Mm -hmm. And he only ran well at the Olympic games and they always accused him of blood doping, you know, which is a really simplistic process. In fact, I don't even know if blood doping would be considered illegal anymore. Well, it was, it, They he, would take, you would work out at high level, high altitude. Yeah, they would take your blood your out, blood. they'd freeze it and they'd put it back in you yeah. right before your race. But he was accused of that, but you know, there's no way. At the to, time he did it, it was legal to do. Yeah. And we don't know if he actually blood doped, but right. if he did, it was legal at the time and it was made illegal ex post facto. But that, interestingly enough, after, at some point during Armstrong's trajectory in the tour, they reverted back to blood doping because, EP, because of all the EPO tests that were coming out. So they went back 20 years to do, it was like, the, you know, I... I think I, I, it's not that I don't care about doping. I just don't engage with it that, because it just, I had my heart broken too many times by people like I really, I thought I really admired. And I might be one of the, you know, I might be a third on the, on the trio here that does care yeah. about it, but in a way that I'm just more of a student, I'm just trying yeah. to learn from all the different perspectives yeah. because because it, it really profoundly affects me when my my heroes are yep. affected. Yep. Because it makes me question, like, because I do things because of the heroes that I have. Yep. Like, I've always done things because of the heroes that I have. So I empathize yep. with the entire thing. So when they're saying, like, we need the whole story, and I'm like, yeah, let's get the whole fucking story. Like, we got to get the whole story, right? Like, where yep. are you getting? Who are you doing? Who else is doing it? Like, like let's, let's extract that and get it. But... Um, so I'm I'm I was never quite interested in in it until recently, but I, I don't even know what that means yet yeah. because it's I'm just empathizing with 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 my heroes, not necessarily with the ninety eight percent of 
maybe the other athletes. Right. I just like, because my entry point is yeah. what I know and what they're telling me. Well, another piece of the puzzle here is the fact that we're in a brave new world with CRISPR and the ability to do things with the human genome and what we can do with biology that we couldn't do before. And I think that there's no way that, to me, this is what, when I realized those things around 2014, 2015 was when I just stepped out of the game. Because I was just like, they're going to be able to do things. They're going to, the, the labs and the technologies, there's so much money in the sport. And they've got really hungry biochemists who are willing to work wherever because they're doing stuff now. I mean, CRISPR, look at CRISPR. It's like on that ethical edge. So why would someone who's involved in that not want to see what happens when you do things biochemically to the human yeah. species? Yeah, it makes so, sense too. And and would, very, would, it seems like a fine line because yeah. if you, and I and I listened to that podcast with this guy, Colin Chartier, and he, whether it's, we're getting much anything from him about the nature of why or what or when, the interesting thing that he did bring up was that he was training with the Norwegian crew who is big on lactate testing. Mm -hmm. And it's he's big on, I mean, and basically he said, I'm going to try and get it as close as possible, but it became not fun anymore. Yeah. And it became just almost like a Petri dish experiment. And he said it took all the life out of the sport. Yep. And, well, that's an interesting situation because to me, it, there seems like a fine line between optimization versus, you know, optimization, <laughs> you know, and that's, I think that what I'm, what I'm, what I think I'm hearing you say, Steve, is that, and you, John, like, you know, and, and you, it's easy to talk to a lot of people, like even like my brother's like, why don't they make a league where it is legal and just kind of, you know, go there and just see how fast we can go. Cause there won't be any money in the league. Yeah. yeah and so, um, it's it's just it's interesting that they're so real, like it, they almost seem they're so closely related but one is on the right side of good and one is right. on the wrong side of good yeah. that it's confusing sometimes to understand like well if you're if you're looking at your blood and testing your blood and understanding your blood but you don't have the ability to optimize it to the full optimize like, it's so it, it's fascinating yeah. and i think it's the same thing like we had an episode on ai it's interesting that we talk about ai mm -hmm. writing a blog versus getting ai to write it we're we're literally in the philosophical conundrum of understanding technology and humanity and i mean the, the ceo of google literally said that ai is more important literally than fire he said it will do more to the human race than fire and the invention of electricity. Him. And faster. And faster. And he goes, because we're looking at some, like, and it's like, well, okay, well, that's really, really interesting. Like, where do you put the governor on that? And like, how do you control it? And so we're looking at where it's possible that humanity and sport and everything has come to this age where we're just, we're trying to, understand it completely on a very basic human level and i think that's where we find these athletes falling on one side of good or one side or not but um but none of these so i had a conversation with an athlete yesterday that i've um it was a consultation so she's an athlete who may end up qualifying she's trying to qualify for olympic trials mm -hmm. and um we're working through a few little problems and we were talking about what I said to her was, 
you know, one of the things about having an arbitrary goal time or trying to reach a certain goal or trying to get a certain thing when you, when you, when you look at that end result as the key arbiter of success, and this is what is going on at the Olympics, you know, there's it, it, the, I love the English expression. I watch BBC a lot when they're running track and field races and there's the gold medalist and the first loser. Like there's no, like there's, it's first loser. Yeah. So, you know, that's baked in and they don't even think that that when I, I mean, when I, when I remember my wife heard that for the first time, she goes, what are they talking about? That so, sounds so bad. And I'm like, well, it's just the, it's just the term. But anyway, like, I do think that we've moved so far as a, if the, the danger, this goes into my worries about my, you know, it's my anarchism going about to come out. Um, I just worry if we're not going to be, if we're not really valuing the good, the true and the beautiful, then we're in trouble. And yeah. you know, my statement to her was, where does the good, the true and the beautiful sit within your running? And if it doesn't have a place there, then you need to question it because you could spend your time and energy better spent in a different category of your life. Um, and that's like a very almost libertarian view of it, which is kind of cool. If you think about it that way, I would which consider is like, myself a hyper high, I am so close to libertarian. Me too. Me that too. It's like, it, I'm like one, I'm like, uh, but I'm, but I can't go for, I can't go. I, anyway, there's, so, a, there's a few steps beyond that, that I can't would go. Would it be but, safe to ask you that if we focus, now this is just a hypothetical question. Mm -hmm. If we focus on the good, the true and the beautiful, do you believe that the quality of sport will rise. Yes. Okay. That's really cool. But I think the good and the true, the good and the true follow behind the beautiful. This is why I have a concept of a beautiful race because it's the hardest thing to achieve. So what will happen, that's what you're resonating with when you talk about your heroes. It's the beautiful. It's the beautiful. They are the highest, that's they are very... the highest practitioners of a thing you value. That's what John and I love about ours. When we watch no, our sport, we're always looking at who was the most beautiful. And in some cases, like Saeed Awida, the great Moroccan runner, he was both unbelievably physically beautiful, but also incredibly effective. I loved him for that. He was the first guy to do what Sifan has done, which is run the 800. He, he won the Olympic gold medal and broke the world record in the 5k in the next marathon, next marathon Olympics. He's in the eight, right? But like, but then there's also guys like Zadapak, or yeah. we look at other runners that we see who are not as beautiful and pretty from a form, but we just love what they bring to it. So I do think that, you know, the, I, I struggled for many years with the concept of good, the true and the beautiful, because it feels a little bit so much the foidoidy classical bullshit of the fifth century Athens, which we all now know is, was as misogynistic and racist. And, you know, they had slaves doing everything for them so they could sit around and talk about whatever and shut up poor little, poor little boys. There's a lot of problems <laughs> yeah. around that society, but they but did, digresses. but they did have time to think about these kinds of big questions that I think at the end of the day, AI, the question is, is this more true? Is this more beautiful? And therefore, can we get some truth and some and, and get some truth and some good claims to that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not enough of a philosopher to be able to go down those roads so deeply. And believe me, I'm guaranteed there's a lot of people. I follow a lot of philosophy blogs. I listen to a lot of podcasts on philosophy. And believe me, the great thinkers in philosophy are are really hammering this AI question. They are trying to work out where we're at, which is why you hear many people saying, can we put a pause on it for a second? So what I thought about with the shoes, like, can we just tell Nike and everybody else, we're just going to put a pause on the shoes. I made argued for this in 2017 or 18. I'm like, let's put a pause for a year or two years on the shoes and let's just wait and see. 
Anybody can buy them. We're not going to stop you from making your money on it, but we're just not going to let them be used in competition for a while. Right. And then let them go to the public and let them make all their money off in the public and then test both categories. Now we'll get a real apples to apples understanding. We can actually use science to try to figure out what that is. But I don't know. It's a slippery, difficult discussion. So to me, it's like if a person is willing to go, if their version of beauty is to break the rules to get the win, I don't know how I'm a person who can actually judge that. If this guy that broke the, that did EPO, if his version of beautiful is to do to EPO instead of getting tested by the Norwegians, I appreciate that. I'm not saying I, I don't think, I don't think he should, I don't think it's fair. I think there should be, but I don't have an ethical question for him. The ethical constraints there are the constraints we have as a society, culturally bound. But if we're, if we were bound, if we, our cultural bindings were towards the beautiful, we would have a different world. And I don't think you would have doping at the same level because once you realize that was the objective, once you bring money in, the money is not beautiful. Things mm. are not beautiful. Money the thing seems is, to be the thing that kind so of- The money end. is the end. Everything else is the path. Correct. So if the, once you introduce money yes. in an award system, it's it, it becomes- that's when it becomes a sport. So how do we protect Everything our pros? Else, up until then, it's a game, right? What about at the pro level, though? How, how do we protect them? Is if they're if they're basically giving themselves up to the sport, and it is for money. Well, why the fuck do we have pros? Why do we have professional sports? Why should people get paid millions of dollars to put a ball in a hoop or to ride a bike and swim? It's fucking stupid. People should. We should have no money in the sport. Then it's a real thing. No money. Now we can, maybe you get an Olympic game. That's what the Olympics was all about. That was the idea of the Olympics. But uh, to me, it's like, I don't think it's good for us. Just That's, like I don't think our education system is good for our kids. We've got them stuck in rooms for, they're not, they're not being taught outside. They're being taught in a box to test for a test so that they can pass the test so the teachers can get a raise if they ever get a raise. And so the the administrators all feel good and every, all everybody above that and the kids at the same and time so are just can get some tax dollars whatever and, and it's it's just bullshit it's absolutely bullshit and our whole society is based on this culture this is what john was talking about it's not about the pers it's about the goal or the end not the means or the pr or the process and if we we are ai will eat our lunch because we are going to be so fucking predictable we already are predictable just look at america what we value we, we drive by our homeless people. We see people who can't take care of themselves and we just ignore them and then basically say, oh, they have a problem. It's their fault. You know, I mean, I think this is a, it's a huge problem in being in my sport. The one thing I love about what I do in my sport is I, that's why I don't work with pros anymore. I don't work with the elites. I, my vision is what the vision of beautiful is and I can help adult athletes reach that goal. And I'm always trying to pull them away from the goal and put them into the process. And if I do that, maybe I'm helping the future of the world at some level. But to me, I still love the sport and I will always love the sport because it's here and it's available and you can't get rid of it. But I would be the first person to vote to get rid of it, to take money out of it. Take money out of take it. Take money out of it. Refuse to allow that to happen. That will never happen. There are too many wheels in play, too many power people in position that need to get paid to do what they're doing. Um, and somebody might say, well, you'll keep your job. Same thing with Maybe sponsors. I'd be willing to go work in the fields if we had an option where working in the fields was an effective thing to do, but we don't really have that. You know, like we, we're, we are, I don't, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm, I've been saying this for a couple of years now, but we are at the end.
I do not know how we can continue. It's not a question of what AI is going to do. It's what we're going to do to each other. Like we're just, it's, 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 it's it. But I will say the Chinese aphorism of may you live in interesting times, because I do think we're getting squeezed really hard. And I do have this hope that maybe if we squeeze hard and hard enough, the human species is so resilient, is so tough. The heart is there so much. We care about beauty. My dog does not care about beautiful, but we have this value of beauty. Anyway, guys, I'm sorry. I'm, no, no, no. I wasn't feeling good, and now here I am all wrong. <laughs> no, it's, it's quite all right. I'm going to keep digging if that's okay. Go ahead. Because, Go ahead. Because the, where my mind goes in this is there was a period in time before this group called the PTO in triathlon specifically because we're, we're in five years of triathlon that we've never really seen before. And, you know, it's... And I'm not coming as as just a triathlon diehard fan. I'm just like this is this is actually pretty relevant. So what happened was the sport is was basically created by Ironman long distance triathlon. They call it the Iron Distance or long distance, but it was a corporation that founded basically right after a group of really cool people went and did this crazy shit in Hawaii. And it was like let's turn this into a sport. Let's put a brand on it. Let's do the thing. We're gonna charge for it. And then it started to become competitive because people began to love that. But there was a lot of skepticism because this particular organization wasn't paying out the pros anything that they could make a living on if they're going to dedicate 40 hours of training a week and recovery and hire the coaches and, you know, make the traveling and do the races and dedicating their lives to the highest level of this sport. And they couldn't financially pull it off. So this organization comes along and says, you know what, we're going to, we're going to make a pool of money and we're going to sanction races and they're going to not just be Ironman events. They're going to be challenge events like challenge Roth in Germany. And, um, you know, we're going to pull together, we're going to create our own races and we're going to create a ranking system and we're going to pay out to basically meet the financial needs of the athlete. Um, Kind of like golf has, right? The yeah, way golf has. Yeah, for sure. And oh man, it's it's fascinating because if you take I'm just trying to wrap my brain around this idea that what if you were to take money out of it, but then you would be left with the skepticism. But again, it, there seemed like a problem and because in the public perception, uh, this is what I've been trying to say. Sorry about the ramble. So what I've been trying to say is like even the layman athletes like myself were like, it seems like these people at the highest level are promoting the sport and getting dollars for the races, for the organizers, the corporation of the races. So they need to be compensated because they're basically marketers. They're marketing the sport. They're pulling people like me in and paying thousands of dollars to get so that they the can sport. have a middle, so they can have an administrative class. Mm -hmm. so it's the same problem that we have everywhere. Mm -hmm. So then they create an administrative class that creates structures to be able to support who does the point struggle. Anyway, it, anyway go, yeah. keep going. But. Yeah, and, and, and it seems, if you look at it from one end, it seems really relevant that we would create a well-paying system because people are basically capitalizing on people's performances and their, their likeness. And same thing with, with collegiate sports 
you know, and it's 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 a very complicated issue. It seems. By the way, I don't think that ep- episode ever went out. I think we might have to say maybe we'll save that one with your. Oh, we did do an episode on. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I feel like we're we're at the bottom of figuring this out, and we don't have a structure to what. But then I hear your take, Steve, and I've heard your take before on business and society and and everything. And although it's of the same essence of like my enthusiasm and a lot of my beliefs, it differs, you know, to a certain extent. Um, it is naive, though. <laughs> I mean, I do recognize it as a naive. You know, I, I think I think about it enough for it not to be just a naive primitivism of going back to some former state. I don't believe that. I don't believe we can ever go back. But I do think we can use the guiding light of tr- something beautiful to potentially shift and change things. What if politics like, was beautiful? What if music was well, if music re- is- recording? And it's, well, it's it's different. It'd be the equivalent of being like, well, you have to record on analog tape, you yeah. know, and, and you got to yeah. do it in a studio and you got to do it with people. And I mean, I do just- think that's my hope for people is though that each, you know, I think we talked about this another time on the technology episode about a young lady who I work with who's in ultras right now and she's trying to decide. She's like, okay, we need to qualify for the Olympic trials. At what point do I shift over to the plate to choose? I'm like, you don't have to. She's like, why not? I said, because I've coached dozens of athletes right where you're at to get down below the time that you're trying to run. 235 is fast, but not that fast. So we can get you there. Now, if you want to get under 230, we're going to start thinking about aids and benefits. Because, <laughs> But basically, the human aerobic system is designed for a woman who's reasonably biomechanically efficient to run 235. I don't see there's any reason. I think mostly it's cultural or psychological or other things. There's no physiological reason that can't happen. Just like uh, you should have, we should have a lot more guys running 225 for the marathon. Sure. 220 for the marathon. We should have a lot of guys doing that. I mean, almost any American man who ran almost every, any American high school, any decent collegiate athlete should be able to go under 220. If all they did was get good quality. If they had you and I as their coaches, when they came out of college, we'd get them under 220, 18 months within 18 months. If, if it took even that long. So anyway, I, I I don't know why I just went off on that topic, but ultimately I don't think that we're going to see this change, but I think if we can get people to consider these big questions in their own hearts, then they can decide how they want to deal with doping and they don't have to accept my way of dealing with it. You know, John and I have, we basically feel the same way. We don't really pay attention to doping, but we do it from a very different perspective, right? For me, it's like, it's happening. It's going to happen. And for your perspective, it's like, well, maybe it's happening, maybe it's not happening, but we'll just deal with it later. Um, there's only one or two people out there in the world, and we're both equal. We're both one or two people out there in the world that we'd be devastated if that happened yeah. too. But even then, I wouldn't be, I mean, do you think if somebody, if, if we got in the paper and it said, Ily Kipchoge got busted for doping tonight, would I be surprised? No. no. I'd be brokenhearted, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised. I've just know, I seen too many is, things. You know? The thing is, I... Uh, grew up loving sports and having sports heroes. And they, they, you know, I think my very first hero was George Washington Carver, but that's, you know, it was maybe the first book I bought for myself. I don't know when I was six or whatever, but my sports, we elevate sports here. You know, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but Americans love to create heroes out of nothing. And and the English love to destroy heroes right. once they get up there. <laughs> right. And well, you know what? Americans do too. They love to destroy them, but that they let them come back. And oh, they're yeah. like, ah, they we're just kidding. <laughs> we and need a good, we need a good 
circular story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's and the narrative structure of the hero's return. Yeah. Fuck the hero's journey. <laughs> and let's fix all these let's heroes. Keep this train going. All these heroes, you know, some of them are real heroes, and some of them are just heroes that we've created. And sometimes I don't think we can differentiate until everything's said and done. And I think it's more enjoyable to play naive about, for me, I mean, I know there's doping and it's probably much more than I think it is. But if I'm thinking about doping, I don't get excited about watching the races. It steals the beauty. It steals the beauty. And like what, like watching Siphon change gears, like I was like, when I watched her do the triple, when I watched her do the triple and I watched that 15 and she didn't succeed, I just, I was so proud of her. I was just like, I felt this is what it means to be a courageous human being. And she's, She's Muslim in an in in a, in a she's Muslim practicing. She so the other thing about her performance. Oh yeah, that was during Ramadan. Her whole prep was in Ramadan, so she didn't eat during all day. day all day. So add that to the challenge on top of it. So let me ask you a question: If she's not eating during the day, do you think she's taking EPO? I mean, I don't know. Maybe so, but that would be a real big. That's a think about that. Like, I with EPO, it <laughs> maybe doesn't it make your blood thicker? So you would have to be hydrating. You yeah. have to drink, and she, she can't drink. During she can't drink daylight hours. Sounds like the biggest question is how if. <clears throat> This is going to be some tough conversations to broker moving forward in the world because you're going to have two different sides coming out. And we're seeing this politically. We're seeing this with the massive division in the U.S. And we've almost become so you need to talk about it. You need to elevate it. You need to to bring it to the top, all this stuff. And then we have these positions, which are also beautiful, which is let's look at the sport and it's beauty and let's extract that and let's feed that energy and maybe the, the the positive beautiful tide will rise let's talk about the failures let's 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 glorify the failures yes. and, and i agree with that i agree with that 150% and to fail in sport is sport that's literally why it exists is competition exists because we need the ability to fail to triumph like that's 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 life it's so beautiful it's the most beautiful thing that we can even imagine but how do we broker these conversations if we're going to i think we're going to see a really big divide in those who want to extract the beauty in sport versus those who want to be very black and white about the sport i don't know where it where it goes from here but i do think that um that that's that that could potentially mirror the conversation that we're having socially and politically and the extreme division and in the way that I don't think we have a beautiful society right now. I think society can be beautiful and I think that what we're doing can be beautiful. I just don't think we're doing it right now. We're not practicing love and, and mm -mm. We're, we're practicing opinions and divisions and we're, we're seeming to fuel opinions and divisions 
and we're getting the we're getting the short end of the stick right now and i don't i don't know i to me i'm going to be fascinated by where this where this turns out because i don't know how you can do one without the other yeah well you know my point of view i've had for the last since the pandemic is we have a coming collapse there's just too many systems that are all coming to a head all at one time from politics to economics to ai to um climate like change is to everything's insane. rising it's every, all it's, that it's, idea is become it's permeating every single thing we're doing and the solution for most people if you hear about it is to silo let's create special silos and this is antithetical to the human species we do not silo well we we should not silo we are meant to be in small groups of 150 people that's basic how we evolved. Needs of, basic of needs take care. We, I mean, I think we can have an incredibly technologically and love and nourishment, and we can have a technologically sophisticated world. We can have a world. We're already beginning to see drops in global population and things like that. Like we're, I don't. Uh, to me, I just think there's going to be some systematic shocks that are designed. I'm not saying that a god or anything else does, but nature is going to is saying to us this shit isn't good. Like we talked about last week, the gods, right? Whatever those things happen to be, whether they're just, whether it's just the sign of the times, if it's just the way things work, ultimately, this is what I think my job is. I wrote an essay about it. I tell most of my athletes when I work with them, I'm helping you prepare for a future apocalypse. And I'm not preparing you. I'm preparing you to prepare your children so that maybe there's some of us that can make it through it. Now, the apocalypse may not look like the road, right? But what we've valued for forever those systems are already atrophied to such a level. Think of it like the infrastructure, like the United States is still not putting money into the bridges. We still don't have money in bridges. Like bridges, I mean, if you, I do a lot of research on collapse, so I'm a little bit crazy on this. I'm not a prepper. I don't want to prep. I'm not going to prep. My view is I'm going to be fit enough to handle whatever the fucking shit comes down in mine. Me and mine are going to know where the water is and we're going to know where to get to and we're going to try to figure that shit out. But I don't know. It's like, I just think that, well, even if it's not a physical thing, even and I do think there's going to be a site at minimum, a psychological one. This is what we're seeing with AI. That's what AI is going the direction it's going. So I just think for our listeners who are like, oh my God, what are these guys talking about? My suggestion to you is tighten, collapse now. Collapse now. Lower your, lower, lower your economic needs. Get yourself as fit as you possibly can. Prepare your family to go through struggles and prepare yourself to go through struggles and find your people. Wherever they are, find your people whether they're family or they're your neighborhood or they're whatever they are, find your people. And here are basic prescription that we could be using for the sport. If you put this into triathlon, if you put this into running, like what, what do you value? And currently our world values primary primacy of the dollar or mammon, or in this case, now technology has moved into Araman where it's where the money is in technology because it's turning into a different thing. So, what can you do? Well, get out and run. <laughs> That's the best thing you can do. <laughs> get out and run. I wrote a whole essay about this. It's kind of a sad one, but it's like, I'm just think it doesn't hurt to be prepared. That's what training is. Anyway, sorry guys. I for like the that. Downer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a cool way for, I think it's a very dynamic conversation. And I think that this is probably what we would be talking about if we were just having coffee and not on record. 
And I think that's really For cool. Sure. And I'm not sitting, I'm not going to be one to say that I have the answers to it, but I, but I do, my takeaway is that there is, you know, who are my 150 people that I'm, that I'm around? Where am I getting my nourishment, my, my love and my acceptance so that I can be the most beautiful person that I can be? And I've got a lot of work on that, man. When it when it when it goes and your separate. business and your business, you know, you were talking a little earlier before we pressed record about how your business you're at a crossroads at this point. Mm-hmm. What if you could? I do think that the beautiful sells. As long as you've got a minimal, as long as you don't set some kind of crazy objectives that you've got to go hit so you can pay f- for a wedding or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's you, it, it definitely. By the way, listeners. We're uh, we're not going to be with you for a couple weeks. When does this happen? Well, actually, we're good know, next I week. Think, I think I'm good next week. Okay, good. We'll have a recording cool. next week. Oh, right. really? Okay, mm-hmm. good. I'll take it off. I have yeah, put a sticky on the calendar. Cool. What's take the date off. next week? Twenty nine. It's like the seventh or something, something like that. Like that yeah. Something around there. Yeah, I think I think we're good to go. Yeah, we're going to lose Michael for three weeks. So, what we're thinking in that time frame is we've got some some older episodes, and then John and I may trot one out together. See if we can. Since Michael and I kept the band together going one time, yeah, we'll see if we can get to keep the band going one time. See how that goes. Um, well, thanks or, for sharing your opinions today. It's a tough conversation because it's you're just you almost can't can't say anything these days without getting people, such an opinionated. Well, yeah, it's charged world we're living in right now, and it is. And I think it's important to listen to the opinions that come from reasonable and logical sources because it's so new. And anytime I like read anything about AI or any of that kind of stuff, I don't know if what I'm, because it's, it's, it's so overwhelming to me. But that's a good place to the, I think you can learn something from every opinion. Like what I'm like the, ethical value on a scale I I haven't even begun to I don't understand it yet it's like a proper it's a proper debate it's a proper rhetoric you you can't have a healthy debate yeah. unless you define the terms yeah and what we're defining right now at the at the deepest most profound level we have a lot of people who are passionate about seeing things work and seeing, trying to figure out what's beautiful. Yep. Those ideas and coming at it are different ways. That's a healthy debate. As yeah. long as you define the parameters and, and... And break down the silos. And you break down... And, and you're not we just We can't saying, have just STEM. We can't have just STEM. And we can't have just liberal arts. We need that. You need to do both. You yeah. need to understand what a narrative structure is. You need to know there's a beginning, a middle, and end. You need to be able to deal with meaning and with those kinds of things. And we also need to be able to figure out how to do all the technological advances that we have and where we're going with that. Now, one thing I wanted to say, John, I mean, Michael, before we ended, like, I do have opinions, and John, I think you just touched on this, but I do hold all of that with a high level of uncertainty. Like, 
I think I've mentioned this early on in our episodes that I, I, I am an agnostic and I try, I strive to be an agnostic. I just come from a really fundamentalist background. That's how it was baked into me. So I have a tendency to want to know and appear and I want to know all that stuff. I feel that with you, Michael, a lot. Cause you're always like, let me get all the data. Let me get all the data. I'm like, even when you get the data, there's going to be uncertainty in there, but it's good to get the data, but there's still going to be uncertainty. And I think, you know, John, your point wow. is like, just keep uncertainty. And that you said the same thing, Michael, but I just wanted people to know what I'm saying about the collapse. I'm not certain of that. I have no certainty about it, but I do think that somebody's got to look around. People are looking around and, and talking about this kind of stuff. And I think our siloed world is real. That's my biggest worry is that we're in silos. The triathletes are talking to triathletes, runners are talking to runners. Conservatives are talking to conservatives. Liberals are talking to liberals. Anarchists are talking to anarchists. Libertarians are talking to libertarians. And we're not getting into any public sphere and in any place where people can talk to each other. And then we've ruined the dialogue, the necessity. We've ruined what dialogue can be because if you say the wrong word at the wrong time, you even use the wrong... I mean, Max, the other day, my six-year-old daughter was grumpy at one of her friends because she used the word... Um, she used the ED at the end of a word incorrectly. And I just said to her, everyone learns at a different rate and that word may mean that word to her. So she was like, what? I'm like, her teacher is just beating it into people that you have to say things a certain way. It's like, no, just leave it open. Just can we keep it as open as long as we possibly can? Anyway, I haven't seen too many things that are beautiful that are not open. But I don't know. I dig it. All right, guys. I feel better. I'm probably going to collapse. After this. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say you're going to go home 